You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. In a previous Viva podcast, we covered the use of lasers in soft tissue. Today, we'll be going a step further in discussing the use of lasers in hard tissue. With us again is Dr. Scott Benjamin, an expert on dental lasers. He speaks about it all over the world and even designs the dental laser curriculums at various dental schools across the country. Scott, welcome back to Dental Talk. Phil, it's a pleasure being here. We had a great podcast recently, by the way, on soft tissue. That was phenomenal. And I encourage all of our listeners to click on it and listen to it. My question for you to begin this podcast is, how is laser energy used to perform hard tissue procedures? Laser energy performs the same way whether we're doing hard or soft tissue procedures. It's all about when the light interacts with the target. And hard tissue procedures, we're raising the temperature of the water that's contained within the hard tissue, whether it's dentin, enamel, or bone. And as that water very rapidly vaporizes and expands, it breaks the crystalline structure of the, sur- of the surrounding material. Depending on the composition of, of the target, whether it's dentin, enamel, or bone, really has an effect on how well and how efficiently the laser vaporizes the material. And that is an extremely important concept. As we talk about the differences between our various hard structures, enamel has about 1% to 3% water content. So it's going to require more energy to get the same outcome as dentin would, which is somewhere in the 10 to 12% in content of water in it, and bone, which is in the 20-some percent concept of water concentration, will require less. So understanding the composition of the structure you're aiming the laser at, whether it's soft tissues we've discussed in the past, which is up in the 75% and higher composition of water, or enamel, dentin, or bone, has a significant impact. And this is very important. Understanding the composition of your target and with all laser procedures is an extremely valuable concept that clinicians need to know and understand before they start a procedure. Right. So what wavelengths of laser energy are available today for tooth preparation and osseous procedures? Today, there are three wavelengths that are available for these type of procedures. The wavelength of the highest absorption of water, which is going to be the most efficient, is an erbium YAG laser with a wavelength of 2940 nanometers, which is very close to the peak absorption in water, which is right around 2950 nanometers of laser energy. That is something like, that is referred to as an erbium YAG laser, the light walker by Photana. Another wavelength that is available is a 2780 nanometer, which is absorbed about 300% less, which would be something like the BioLase um, water laser that is on the market today. And then the third length and the newest and the newcomer to the to hard tissue procedures is one of the CO2 laser that has a wavelength of 9,250 um, nanometers. Um, the Saleo laser is is the company there, the the device that has that wavelength. And all three of these lasers have a water spray with them to help keeping the target tissue hydrated so that in turn we are exploding that water molecule as efficiently as we can to give us the greatest amount of efficiency possible from the different wavelengths that are out there. So those three wavelengths that you just went over perform hard tissue procedures where they can cut a tooth, they can prepare a tooth and do bone surgery? 
Exactly. All three of those wavelengths are have the ability to perform tooth preparation and osseous recontouring with various forms of efficiency depending on the wavelength, the power, and the control. And just like with everything else we do in lasers, is it's the wavelength that determines how well it's going to be absorbed into the target, the amount of power that is in the pulse itself, and then the control we have over it, how well it has been um, being delivered. Because the goal is is to get the water molecule to explode and have minimal um, effect on the on the remaining tissue that's left behind. And controlling that becomes an extremely important uh, concept you need to be looking at. There are some very advanced pulsarations that are being created today that minimize the amount of discomfort to the patient as laser procedures are being performed. So a doctor that's been using a rotary handpiece his entire career, or a new dentist coming out of dental school who, in most cases, no training on lasers, they're using their normal handpiece. What's the benefit of a laser versus finishing the preparation, the tooth preparation with a rotary handpiece? Whenever a rotary handpiece is used on a dental restoration or a dental preparation, it's going to cause some micro fractures and also some heat building up within the tooth itself. The idea is that micro fracture is going to weaken the strength of the tissue, or in this case, the tooth structure, as well as cause some discomfort with the vibrations that get carried in, and especially in a vital tooth, to give a, um, a stimulation to the pulp. And so the whole goal of a laser is literally to vaporize what we want to get rid of, create an environment that's going to actually give us a stronger bond. And that is very, very important because by finishing a laser with one of the erbium lasers, we have a roughened surface, which in turn is going to give us a greater surface area to actually bond to. So our chemical bond or a micromechanical bond, which is probably a better way to refer to it, is going to be stronger than it would be if we were just using a rotary handpiece. Why can't the you just why not just use phosphoric acid and etch the surface? Well, the idea is we're additionally on top of using the laser handpiece to um or the laser energy I should say to go in and to prepare the tooth, we're still going to use an acid etch to further facilitate that bond. The greater the surface area we're bonding to, the stronger that bond's going to be. Also, the matter of when we're using a laser, we're actually removing or not creating a smear layer. And so, therefore, you have a very clean surface to etch and a very clean surface to bond to, which, again, studies have shown facilitating the bond strength to give us a greater amount of outcome. One of the other additional values of using a laser is a laser should be considered similar to an end-cutting burr. With the idea, if you're using a tipped handpiece, a laser that actually has the laser energy coming out through a sapphire or a, a quartz tip, you can literally rest it on the adjacent tissue, whether it's tooth structure or soft tissue, causing no damage at all to that and being able to prepare the tooth. So you can really minimize the chances of nicking or damaging the adjacent teeth and actually can use the tip in some situations to actually retract the tissue without having to remove it. Do dentists use hard tissue lasers for the full preparation of a tooth, for, like for a crown or a veneer, where, where no rotary handpiece is used? Many clinicians today, when they get done doing their prep with a rotary handpiece for a crown or a veneer, are using a laser to then decontaminate the surface and improve the surface texture to get an increased bonding. 
Okay, so, now, it's, so, it's, so it's more for decontamination and improving the surface texture, but not for removing hard tissue in, in the case uh, well, of tooth preparations. For indirect restorations, such as crowns and veneers, using um, a laser to do 100% of the prep can be done, but it's not ideal. However, doing class fives, class fours, and class three preparations, using a laser from start to finish for the whole preparation is extremely valuable. It can be done in the majority of cases with minimal to no anesthetic at all. And the entire preparation can be done with the laser. Now, um, I, tell us a little bit about the time involved versus a rotary handpiece. Well, one of the great values of using an erbium laser in particular, I can actually prep a tooth as fast with that as I can with my high-speed handpiece. However, speed is not necessarily the ideal goal here. It's all about control. Being able to control the interaction, being able to, to minimize the amount of tooth structure I have to remove, and keeping the tooth structure that's left behind as strong and intact as possible becomes very, very valuable. I believe that the only way truly to do a class five restoration or a root surface caries restoration in the best interest of the patient today is with a, is with a hard tissue laser. It's going to enable you to, in many cases, work on all four quadrants at the same appointment because of the, the reduced need for anesthesia as well as giving you a better binding strength because we know in those situations that the number one reason for restoration failure is that minor or that minimal flexure that the tooth has in those areas. So that the stronger the bond strength we can create, the better the restoration and the long-term success we should have with that restoration doing it that way. So using a, a hard tissue laser for a class five restoration, it, as far as speed goes, it's not that it's slower. And it's going to take the dentist more time. That's that's well, not an issue. Exactly. When I talk about treating patients and time, there's only two times, and I refer to it as butt time, that are important. How long the patient's butt has to be in the chair, <laughs> and how long my my butt has to be in the chair. <laughs> you know, and and I refer, and, and to me that's very important because it's the total procedure time. Whether I'm doing a hard tissue procedure or a soft tissue procedure, that I'm truly interested in. And so doing to the fact that I can remove, especially in a class five situation, the tooth structure as fast, if not faster, with my with my hard tissue erbium laser than I can with my rotary handpiece, and I don't have to anesthetize the patient, and I have control and being able to manage the soft tissue surrounding it, the amount of time of that procedure is greatly reduced, as well as the preparation time. And as I was mentioning before, it enables me, because of the reduced need for anesthesia, especially with our aging population today. And we're seeing, as we're seeing root surface and care and, and class five restorations becoming more and more prevalent. Right, absolutely. Being able, to, being able to work in all four quadrants in the same appointment, I can do a multiple um, procedures or a multiple amount of restorations in the same appointment, saving the patient time and aggravation of coming into the office as well as enhancing my production by being able and literally in a matter of a half an hour to be able to do four, five, six, seven restorations. And, and again, scattered around the entire oral cavity rather than just being refined to the area where the local anesthetic is effective. So without local anesthetic, the patient's not gonna feel the laser therapy at all? 
Well, as in, again, one of the other things I referred to is, is the cotton roll test. And when I put the cotton roll in the patient's mouth, if the patient complains of pain, they're going to need anesthesia. And the reason is, is, is the pain truly there or is it psychological? Right. You know, we you know, we know and, the cotton roll is not hurting them. We know the cotton roll is not hurting, but if they're already uncomfortable, then that's the patient I'm going to give a local anesthetic to. But it's almost more for a placebo effect. Right. With the idea with a properly controlled laser that pulses appropriately, and with some of the advanced pulse structures we have today by even subdividing the pulses into very, very small pulses as short as 50 microseconds in duration, we can literally reduce, if not eliminate, the need for anesthesia. Telling people that while we're using lasers, I never have to give a local anesthetic is a complete fallacy. And again, this is one of the other problems that, that happens out there. But I would say in my practice and the majority of practices that are using a hard tissue laser, that they're probably doing 90% of the restorations with that device on vital teeth with no anesthetic at all. And as we notice, what is the most dreaded thing that the patient has when they come into the dental office is the injection. Whether it's painless or not, the fear of the injection is number is one of the things and being able to do pain-free dentistry without having to perform a local anesthetic is something that both the patients and the clinician both desire very much. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes very important to us. But again, it is all in how do we deliver the laser energy? And that's what's important. With the light walker, for example, they have some very specified, um, very specific uh, modes of delivering laser energy where they're taking what was considered in the past a large blast of energy that would cause a, a significant more impact and subdividing that up into very, very small pulse modes. And in that pulse modes, the laser is firing with upwards of 4,000 watts per pulse, but only 50 microsecond, a very extremely short pulse width allowing the, the the debris field to then settle before that next pulse comes. Mm -hmm. And so therefore they have a great efficiency in how that laser actually in turn performs to give us the outcomes that we're looking for in tooth preparation. And the idea is in, in these new advanced pulses that we can get with lasers today with a computerized pulse generation has even further enhanced the ability to do faster dentistry with reduced discomfort to the patient. And so it's it's really important that when you look at a laser, that not only do you look at the wavelength, but you look at one, what is the maximum power it can deliver? Mm -hmm. And how is how is that power delivered? Having a lot of power and no control over it is not necessarily in the best interest of the clinician. It's like having a Ferrari without brakes. Right. Being able to control how that energy goes into the two structure is extremely important to get the outcomes that we're looking for. But again, it goes back to understanding the composition of the structure, knowing that dentin is going to need less power than enamel, knowing that bone will even need less power than dentin, being able to create the environment to decontaminate the bone structure. We know that one of the future diseases or probably the disease of the next short time in dentistry is gonna be periimplantitis. And having the laser energy of an erbium laser or a CO2 laser that can decontaminate the implant without damaging it and at the same time prepare the bone for a bone grafting procedure can oftentimes nowadays salvage a failing implant without having to remove it by preparing the site 
to, ex to accept the appropriate amount of bone grafting material and facilitating the environment for healing. I asked you this in a previous podcast about a soft tissue laser. If you could make some sort of recommendation for our listeners, uh, an office who's looking to get into implementing a hard tissue laser into their practice, what, what's a good entry point? Well, again, cost-wise, you're probably talking a cost of, of anywhere from sixty to seventy thousand dollars up um with you know which is a which is a a fairly hefty investment which is why doing the appropriate research understanding the 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 concept when you're looking for a laser one of the things you want to do despite whether it's hard tissue or soft tissue you want to look especially when you're investing that amount of money what is the stability of the company how long have they been around are they focused on lasers or is it a side effect? Right. For example, the Photonic Company is the oldest laser company in the world that was founded over 50 years ago. Their focus is strictly laser, um, laser utilization. Um, there are other companies that, and again, we see it more in the soft tissue world, the companies that come and go by the minute. Is the appropriate education and training available? Is it included as part of it or is there an aftermarket cost that goes with it? And that's something that's very important. As the laser energy is being delivered, how is it being delivered? Does it have the, for lack of a better term, the horsepower, the energy level to be able to use these specialized pulses to get there? You know, the, again, the best all around laser probably on the market today is the Photona Light Walker because it enables you to do hard tissue procedure with its Erbium YAG, soft tissue procedures with its ND YAG, and it also has a photobiomodulation wand that goes with that. So with that one device that is going to cost in that neighborhood of, of again, $75,000, you're going to be able to do a gamut of procedures. Now, that advantage of all being in one box is also a disadvantage. Because if it's all the, of all three of those devices or the ability to do that are in one box, it only can mean it's in one room at a time. Right. So that is, part, that is part of the consideration of where does this fit into your practice. Well, in talking about that, what's the profile of a practice that would spend $75,000 for a heart tissue laser? Well, again, the, the, the most beneficial would either be a periodontal practice or a general dental practice. Those would be the two that I would say would have the greatest value of investing in a, in a laser like that. Obviously, in the periodontal realm, it's a matter of being able to correct the, the best environment for healing with osseous surgery and things along that line. Of course. And and then the and the general dental practice is the breadth of it. Now, again, being able to do endodontic decontamination is also a phenomenal thing. And again, with the Photona Light Walker, getting going back to that one laser again, it's PIP's technique and it's sweeps technique that it has. It has the ability to thoroughly disinfect the entire endodontic system. Right. We're going to be actually doing a podcast coming up. You're, you're scheduled to do another one with us in this series to talk about the use of lasers in endodontics. So yeah, definitely, and we are so, definitely looking forward to that. And so a practice that is doing a fair amount of endo that a laser that allows you to do, you know, to do those more efficiently. In my practice now, I'm doing molar endo routinely in about 40 minutes, start to finish, single appointment, and finding lateral canals in about 80 to 90% of my cases. All right, you'll be able to tell current. us. I'm sure your local endodontist is very happy to hear that. And uh, Well, the big thing is, is that it's, <laughs> it's eliminated or almost completely eliminated my failures. 
which yeah. is, is, is more and more the endodontists are knowing that their practice is now becoming more of treating failures than it is. Well, that, well, that, it is. that was going on 20 years ago when I was practicing. I practice in rural upstate New York. My nearest specialist of any sort is 45 to 50 miles away. So what, what, so what is the priority procedure that you use the hard tissue laser for? Name the top three. I, I'm using the hard tissue lasers of one for my endodontic procedures. I'm using it for all my class threes, all my class fives, and literally 100% in those three applications. The laser is it is an integral part of those three procedures. When you're doing class, a class, when you're doing a class five with sub G carries, normally if you were to use a rotary instrument or with a combination of hand instruments, you're going to get some bleeding in the sulcus, trying to scoop out the decay and get it all clean. How does the hard tissue laser help you with maintaining hemostasis? Do you use that in well, combination with a soft tissue laser? Well, again, with um, with the the, the Fontana Lightwalker, again, I keep seeing to bring bringing that name up, which is unintentional, but that has a soft tissue laser, you know, as part of it that has great hemostatic ability to it. But the hard tissue lasers using my tipped handpiece, I can actually in turn, while I'm prepping the tooth, use the tip to actually retract the soft tissue. Where if I was going to be doing that with a rotary instrument, I would be chewing that soft tissue up and uh, and having a huge amount of bleeding and problems with that. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, now we using all the other hard tissue lasers also, they also have the ability to do some soft tissue uh, removal at the same time. The problem with all the hard tissue lasers is because they are so efficient, their hemostatic control, whether it's on all of them today, are is is what I would call a minimal weakness, and um, because again their efficiency of how well they remove tissue. Yeah. So the, the that, one that you mentioned, that's the one you've mentioned several times, Fotano, it's called. Fotana. Fotano. Okay. Yeah. So so that's the one that you happen to use in your office. Could and that's that's a, that's the Cadillac version, right? Yeah, that is, I would say, more like the Rolls-Royce. Okay, of, so what, what, what's another recommendation on hard tissue lasers that well, don't, it doesn't to, cost $75,000? Well, almost all of them are in that price range and up. I mean, that's, that's the scenario. The ones that are available on the market today, there is, again, the BioLase water lace, um, right. various models that are out there. There is the Solea CO2 laser um, that, again, unfortunately, is even more expensive. And then I believe um, Jay Marita is now selling an Erbium YAG laser also. Mm-hmm. And so those are, I believe, in, in the North America, the only four that are on the market. There may be some other ones um, that are available today. But the idea is when anybody's investing this type of money into their practice, they need to make sure they're doing th- there's some due diligence. That is an extremely important, whether it's a laser, whether it's CAD CAM, whether it's any sort of technology is looking at, again, the stability of the company as the science behind what they're saying. Is it a matter of, is training included? Is the company there for support? What? How do we service the laser appropriately? All lasers are going to need maintenance and making sure that as you're buying it. Now, again, in the past, I also had an Opus Duo laser. And after about six or seven or eight years of using that laser, I got a very nice letter from the company saying they were going to no longer support it. So that became a $75,000 coat hanger for me, which is one of the things we want to make sure that we stay away from and making sure that the companies that we're, do, we're dealing with do have 
the the desire, the technology, and the support process in place, and will be there when we need them. No, absolutely. You know? The support part of it is absolutely imperative, and the understanding what lies ahead when you make a purchase of that of that amount. That's and that's one of the, and that's very commonly overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we saw that a lot in the digital radiography world, where people were buying inexpensive sensors and then finding out that in a very short amount of time, they had no support for. What's the best way for a dentist to to test drive these dental lasers? Going to a dental show? Tell us a little bit about that. That is probably the the most difficult thing in the whole process. Is where do we go to get good, reliable? factual information and not just marketing hype being able to see how does it feel in your hands as you mentioned going to the trade shows you know things like the ada meeting on um, the chicago midwinter the new york meeting meetings like that and being able to hold it in your hand see what it feels like thinking about will the size of this machine actually fit in your operatory you know these hard tissue lasers are fairly large machines and so making sure that the ergonomics are in place, because if it doesn't feel right in your hand, are you going to be able to do the appropriate procedures you want to do? What type of additional hand pieces are available to enable you to do some of the more advanced procedures that are out there today? What is the limit of what the machine can do and what it can't do? And the, the bigger the breadth of what the machine can do, the better off you're going to be as a clinician being able not to just do hard tissue procedures, but also soft tissue procedures, being able to do endodontics, being able to do some of the things that have, that have been introduced as far as, as snoring reduction and things along, along that line. Understanding it, looking at the true science, mm -hmm. that becomes very, 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 very important. Um, don't be dissuaded as much by the marketing, but literally talking to clinicians that you trust in it. Unfortunately, one of the biggest things that is a detriment to our profession is when a dentist buys something and finds out that it doesn't do what he wants it to, they are so embarrassed that they don't want to share their failures with their colleagues. Hmm. How often and do you so think that happens, that someone would buy a, a laser at this expense and realize it's it's not working in their practice? It happens more frequently than, than any of us care to admit to, and the, probably the number one reason is they bought it for the wrong reason. And they did not get the appropriate training with it so that they understand how to use it properly. Training is crucial. Understanding the, the limitations of the device is very, very important. And the number one reason that that occurs more than any other reason is that they bought it for something that is inappropriate to be using a laser for, thinking it's going to solve their problem. When incorporating lasers into the practice, it's very important to take patients that you know, doing procedures that you're familiar with, learning how to do those first, then move into the more advanced procedures. Unfortunately, people look at buying a laser oftentimes as the hero syndrome to solve the nightmare case that is something, and they start off with something that they have not developed the expertise to do yet with a patient that has unrealistic expectations. Could you give, you know, before, before we wrap up this podcast, um, could you give me an example of, an expectation that's unrealistic where the, where the doctor purchased something like this expensive hard tissue laser and then realized, wow, this is not working. Could you give us a nightmare example? Well, a good example of that is people that have bought lasers, as we discussed earlier in this, in this podcast, to do crown preps and to veneer preps. With the idea, can you do it? Yes. 
Should you do it? Probably not. Should you use it possibly as an adjunct to increase your body strength at the end? Very, 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 very much so. But the idea of thinking they're going to do an entire crown prep, and I've had people say, oh, I can do my crown preps with a laser, which is a true statement. But does that become a realistic thing that you want to be doing routinely in your practice? And the answer is no. And why is it not realistic? Because, again, being able to develop your, your, your finish lines, being able to develop your contours, and, and being able to shave the tissue that we can with a rotary handpiece is something that I consider that using a laser to do. Using a laser to remove amalgam is probably one of the biggest fallacies that's out there. Yes, you can you can remove more tooth structure than you need to to undermine the amalgam all the way around and then popping it out as a whole. Yes. Right. You but know, it's not going to, in itself, it's not going to do anything to the amalgam material. Exactly. And I mean, and these are the type of things that, that doctors have. And we know that a fair amount of dentistry today is working around removing old metal restorations. Mm-hmm. And so, again, a laser is not the appropriate tool to do that. And matter of fact, the chances of possibly damage your device by doing that becomes quite high. Right. And, you know, and that's, you know, part of the consideration. So just as a, as a summary before we wrap it up, what are the three or four main procedures that a hard tissue laser is really good for in the dental practice? It is excellent. And by far, I think my number one device of choice is an adjunct to endodontics. And for class five restorations, I consider it's the only way to do a class five restoration. Now, I would never even consider using my rotary instrument for class five restoration today and also class three restorations. Right. But those are, so do you don't do osseous procedures in your practice? I do, but I'm just saying those are the number, the three number one things that a general dentist would be doing routinely. Right. And we're going you to know, talk about the use of hard tissue lasers and endodontics very shortly when we release a, a new podcast with, with you as our guest. So I hope the listeners enjoy this information. And uh, we'll have you back soon. The next one we have planned on the schedule for you is lasers and endodontics. So stay tuned, everybody. Thanks so much, Scott. As always, Phil, it's a pleasure working with you.